Hello, friends. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host, and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you're here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in the second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build the business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. For those who don't know, I am very passionate about the homeless population and helping them transform their lives. I have been given the gift of opportunity to work with homeless people as a volunteer and through my position on the board of directors of Face to Face Germantown. My life has been touched so many times by homeless people, and one such time was at a mother's place where I met my guest for today. Karen Peterson was a teen mom who never graduated high school. She had a lot of twists and turns on her journey, but survived the bumps in the road, got an education, became a teacher, and has been giving back to young women since. She is the owner of Women of Harmony, through which she and her staff provide trainings, workshops, scholarships, mentoring, and encouragement to break the cycle that keeps them from achieving harmony with their destiny. She is also a doula. I invite you to listen to Karen's story and learn how you too can influence young girls to become successful women and moms. Become a mentor, a volunteer, or donate if you feel so inclined. But cheer Karen on as she does amazing work with the younger generation. Did you know that I offer one-on-one brand strategy, clarity, confidence, and connection sessions? If you are interested in starting a business, rebranding your existing business, or getting unstuck from a lack of clarity, let's talk. I can help you find the clarity you need, become confident with your brand messaging, and connect with your ideal audience to attract more clients. Once you have clarity, you'll have confidence. With confidence comes trust. And once trust is established, authentic connection occurs, leading to genuine relationships. Those genuine relationships will then convert to clients and sales. To learn more, go to www.therobingram.com and click on Brand Strategy and Coaching on the menu. And you'll have all the information you need to take that next step in finding complete clarity so that you can build a brand and a business that will have an impact. Karen Peterson, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Thank you, Robin. I'm so glad to be here. I'm honored to have you here with me, and I am very excited to share your journey and your story and all of the amazing things you're doing now with my listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah. So where do we begin? (laughs) Well, what I would like to do is have you tell the listeners where you started. Your journey has not been one of ease by any sense, something that most of us 
cannot relate to. And I think there's so much empowerment in hearing your journey and realizing that through faith and hope, anything is possible. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about Women of Harmony, Inc., which is my nonprofit and why I started it and why it's so important to me. So I was homeless about 20 years ago and I had a newborn baby. She was just a little over a month old and she is a junior in college. Even then, when I was in my 20s, I was 25 years old. I had two small children. My son was six. My daughter was two, and I became a foster mother to teenage parents. So at any given time, I would have six children living with me, my two children, two teen girls, and their babies. And that's kind of really where the seed was planted for Women of Harmony that didn't really come to fruition until many years later. In those six years that I did that, I kind of saw myself as someone who was a conduit to young women, a conduit to mothers, to children, someone who was likely to work in the community with women and children. Fast forwarding to about 1999, there was a hurricane, Hurricane Floyd. And I lived in a little town called Darby Township in Darby, Pennsylvania, and my apartment was wiped out. And so right after that, I kind of went from house to house, kind of, you know, to family member to family member, but really unable to find some level of stability. Now, Hurricane Floyd happened in the fall of 1999, and then I got pregnant. So In the year 2000, July of 2000, I delivered my daughter, who's now 20 years old. And (laughs) this is really interesting. My lung collapsed while I was pregnant and I was admitted into the hospital and I had her with a chest tube in. A month early, I left the hospital in early August and by late August, I was living in the shelter um, with three children and recovering from lung surgery. Uh, I lived in the shelter from August to November, and I was able to get subsidized housing. The rule for living in the shelter was you had to work or go to school. Your children went to childcare, which was on site. Um, You had to save a percentage of your income, and you had to meet with your case manager on a weekly basis. The shelter was in Chester, Pennsylvania, but my children went to school still in Philadelphia. So every morning at about 5 a.m., I would leave the shelter, (laughs) strap my baby to my chest, take a train and a trolley to drop my children off and walk a few blocks to childcare and to a relative's house who would see them off to school. And then I would take a trolley and a train to work and walk a mile. And I did this every day. I never got to see my case manager because by the time I did all of that to get back to the shelter in the evening, they were gone for the day and they weren't there (laughs) when I left in the morning. So I would leave little notes. I would slip my savings under their door. I was also responsible for chores in the shelter. So some nights I would get in at 10 o'clock and have them mop the floors. Um, My daughter, who was an infant, she was born with her stomach underdeveloped because she was born a month early. And so she screamed every night for an hour. 
And every night for an hour, I would walk to shelter floor (laughs) until she was soothed. And so this was a really trying time because I couldn't sleep lying down. My physical body was still healing, not just from the birth experience, which was very traumatic, but also from the surgery that happened two days after I delivered my daughter from the collapsed lung. During that time, I built relationships with the staff at the shelter because I followed all the rules. I went to work every day. I did everything I was supposed to do. And I took care of my children. But I also knew that I had a certain level of fortitude that would allow me to recover with some support. And I received that support there. I developed a lot of respect for the people who helped me along the way. Um, My case manager, who is now the director of that shelter. After I left the shelter, and it sort of started while I was still there, but immediately after I left, I developed a 11-week curriculum for the women in the shelter. And all of the shelter staff supported me. And my goal was to help women to do the same thing I did. We all came from different backgrounds. None of us planned to be homeless. Nobody could, you know, there was not some desire to live beneath your means and to be in this situation. And so uh, we all got there one way or the other. And so it was my goal to just not come up, but pull someone up with me. So we started this 11 week program and it was well attended. And at the end, the state came out, we gave our certificates, we had a great luncheon and it was well supported. And again, that was another sort of bloom or blossom into this idea of creating a nonprofit later on in life. So Women of Harmony was established in 2014. We are a nonprofit 501c3. We work with three shelters in Delaware County, the Wesley House, which is the shelter that I lived in, the Pathway Center for Families, which is in Media PA, and also Mother's Home, which is a maternity shelter. And we go into the shelters with education, resources. We connect women to other women. We offer a scholarship to a woman who has secured affordable housing, but perhaps she has a barrier that would keep her from maintaining it. So maybe she has an old electric bill or you know, she needs to pay off something in her credit history or her car broke down. So now she can't get to work into school. And that becomes a barrier to her maintaining her housing. And so we would pay the vendor the amount or we would match her amount up to $1,000. We've been doing this since 2014. One of the other initiatives that we decided to add was to give more attention to the children. When I lived in the shelter, there was I was only there for four months. And there was funding available for me to get subsidized housing for a period of time until I could get on my feet. Now, if a young woman moves into a shelter with a newborn, she may be there for years before she can get affordable housing. And so the landscape has changed drastically um, in that regard. So we want to make sure that women understand how to manage their money and that if education is something that they want to pursue, that they have the resources to do that. And resources that are in the community, other community-based organizations. So we'll partner with the bank and with other organizations to kind of bring that balance. Um, And then we also wanted to give the children something to look forward to. If you are a newborn and you live in a shelter for two years, that shelter becomes your home. 
And so what do you have to look forward to? So we would do fun ideas, you know, have pizza parties. We had a restaurant come out with a pizza truck (laughs) where they make, it's literally a pickup truck with a stone oven built on top of it. And every child from two to 16, it was about 45 kids, was able to make his or her own pizza with their own toppings, with fresh dough. And there was hand washing stations and seeing kids smile who I had never seen smile before, seeing their faces light up. It was one of the best things that I've ever done. Um, And so whenever we go into the shelter, we also take child care management. So we want to keep them busy, keep them going and excited, too, while we work with the moms in these different shelters. The holidays are another big initiative. We try to do something every holiday. Every family member gets a gift. Every mother gets a gift card. Mother's Day is a big day for us. Going back to school. So we just try to stay present in their lives. I can go in and say, I was where you are. And it makes for a different platform when you can go in and say, hey, I lived your experience as opposed to, hey, this is what you need to do. And really doing it in a trauma-informed way where we're not saying what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? You know, what's your story? You know, you have said so many incredible things throughout your storytelling. And you're a beautiful storyteller, by the way. Thank you. So I have so many questions and, you know, my listeners probably know this by now. I'm just very curious. I love to ask questions. And I know you and I have talked before and our first introduction was I volunteered at Women of Harmony at Mother's Place, right? Yes. And we took photographs of the women who were there. Some were pregnant. Some had just had babies. Some had babies that were a year old and they were getting close to their point in time where they were going to have to transition out of the shelter. Yes. And after that event, we had a conversation in the parking lot. And the one thing that really struck me was that you were coming from a place of, I've been where you're at, and that's why I can help you. Mm -hmm. And I think so many times we go through life and we stereotype or we judge. And I'm not saying me specifically or you specifically or the listener specifically, but I think as society as a whole. Sure. We look upon people who are homeless and we think, well, how'd they get there? They obviously did something bad. And that's not the case the majority of the time. That's correct. And, you know, for your example, the hurricane hit. What is a person to do? If you don't have family resources close by, you don't have options. Right. If you are someone who has mental illness, if you're someone who was madly in love, And then your significant other did something and now he is in prison. That wasn't your doing. That wasn't your choice. And some people might say, well, how did she let herself get in that situation? We all do foolish things for love, right? Absolutely. (laughs) To me, it's neither here nor there. Because the fact of the matter is these women are where they are because this is the journey that they're on. This is the path that somehow they've ended up taking in their life. And so now it's the point where you don't only help them, but what I love so much about what you're doing is you are giving them the tools they need to transform their life. So they don't stay stagnant. They don't stay in that same situation. They learn the skills needed to then be able to move forward and change their destiny. Absolutely. The word harmony speaks to alignment, rhythm, 
right? And I believe that everyone has a gift, a talent, a destiny. Um, And like I said earlier, I never met a woman who said, you know, when I grow up, I can't wait to be homeless. Nobody plans on doing that. And we all come across some roadblocks, right, on our way to this harmony that we see for our lives. And for these group of women, it was homelessness. And so our goal is to like you said, give women tools, give them encouragement, let them know that there's hope as they get back into that alignment with the harmony that they set out for their own lives and for the lives of their children. It's fascinating to me. And I think there's so much more of this than what we even know exists. Yeah. I recently interviewed a woman, Betty Lamar from LA, and she has a nonprofit organization. I think I told you about her. Empower Her is her organization. And she too was a very young mom. She was pregnant at her high school graduation. And so her journey was similar to yours in the respect that she didn't do things in the traditional order. She was never homeless. And that's where your stories differ. But where your stories merge today is the fact that you are empowering women to be able to change, change, transform, transition their lives into something that is more meaningful, more successful, but able to have their own independence which gives them confidence then. Absolutely. I mean, I took advantage of everything they offered me. I took it. Everything. And so I encourage the women to do that too. Take every support, every person who comes through the door, because Women of Harmony is one of many organizations that come to some of these shelters to offer support. So I always encourage them, ask questions. This person may be your next boss. Don't let anybody go out of this door and not know that you can cook, you can sing, you're a great accountant, you know how to keep books, you have great customer service skills, or you want to go back to school, or no one should walk out the door and forget you, you know, and so you don't want to just be another person. And this is a small chapter in their lives. When I look at my 20-year-old, who is a woman, you know, (laughs) and she was that little infant that I strapped to my chest every morning at 5 a.m. That time goes by really fast, but I didn't do it in a bubble. I needed those supports and I needed to be able to take advantage of them without shame. So the program that matched my savings dollar for dollar so I could buy a car and then later so I could pay for my education was important to me. The little church around the corner that gave out free food on certain days of the week, I stood in that line many a day, you know, and so I had to go through some of these experiences. They may at the time felt a little humiliating, but I was in survival mode. And a lot of these women are in survival mode. And you're right. Domestic violence is a huge reason why women end up in shelters. Mental health. A lot of shelters have become the new, and I I hope this is not offensive, but the new psych ward, because they don't have other places to go and they're not getting the relative treatment. They don't have good quality health care. And in many of the shelters, the staff members are not qualified to meet these needs, these mental health needs. So there are generations of families who ride this cycle of homelessness because of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack when we start talking about, you know, homelessness. In every school district, they're homeless children. You just don't know it. 
They come to school on a bus just like every other child. My kids were some of them, you know, and in Delaware County in particular, where I live, the statistics are that at any given time, there is at least 600 documented homeless families and 60% of them are women and children. So that's a huge number of people. And those are just the ones who are documented, not the people who are going from house to house, you know, or who are living with another relative because they don't have a place of their own. These are people that are in shelters. Mm -hmm. So I know that we're going to talk about your work as a doula and your own business. You are a multi-passionate entrepreneur for sure, (laughs) but there is a common thread with your passions and that thread is family. It's, you know, because you focus your work as a doula, not only on the mother and the baby, and then you're a lactation consultant, which also folds in the mother and the baby. But your goal is to involve the fathers more. Yes. And, you know, you yourself, the father of your children was not there for you when you had to become homeless. That's right. And so many of these women and every woman that I met in the shelter had a man that obviously got them to the situation that made them a mother, but then was no longer there. Yeah. So I don't even know like how to ask this question or how to say this, but how does that happen so commonly? Like, is it a lack of self-esteem that these girls have? So they, and, and the reason I'm asking this question is so that we as other women, especially women in leadership roles can potentially get involved and become mentors or do things to help these girls feel more secure in themselves versus going to men, I guess, to find that, to find something they're missing. And maybe I'm completely off base here, but I'm just trying to like rationalize it. Well, hmm, let me see. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. And I don't think that we are born with healthy self-esteem. Self-esteem is something that we develop over time. Yes. Confidence is learned. Yeah. Many of us have had adverse childhood experiences, whether it's a parent who was abusive or a parent who abused themselves with alcohol or drugs, or we may have had a parent who was incarcerated or parents who were divorced, or we suffered some childhood trauma. And trauma is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. So I think all of that plays a huge part in who we become as adults before we evolve into who we want to, you know, to become that harmony. And so when it comes to young women, I think that one of the biggest things that we can do is be an example and not judge. Because like you said, we've all made some foolish choices. And quite frankly, it's not common or unusual or even unhealthy to want to be admired by the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. We, we all get there. Right. True. <laughs> you know, I work in special education, even children in special education have hormones and they rage, you know? So I always said to myself, had I had a good mentor, my life would have been a lot different. I was a daddy's girl. My father was around, but he died very early. He died when I was about 22. But from the time I was 10 until that time, I didn't get to see him that much because my parents were divorced. 
I'm sure that played a role in my outcome, right? And so one of the reasons why I find it really super important for fathers to be involved from the beginning, whether they are involved with the mother of the baby or not, it is so important that they be involved from the beginning. And one of the reasons why I feel like they are not is because we don't hold a space for them to get involved. We hold the space for mom. She gets a baby shower. She may get nutritional development services like WIC, and she may get special care when she goes to the doctor or her birthing center, and she's treated well, and someone opens the door for her and gives up a seat for her, and there's this big celebration around her bringing this new life into the world, as it should be. Mm -hmm. And no one asks about the father. Or there's no big celebration for him. Oftentimes what he hears is you have got to provide and that's it. But what I found as a doula and the more I dig into research, I'm finding that not only do women suffer from postpartum depression, but men do as well. And they also suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, from traumatic birth experiences. So there's a whole system that has left out the father. It happens every day, all the time. Um, There are assumptions made about fathers that they are not around. And I really don't subscribe to that. I just feel like we haven't invited them to the table. We haven't given them information and education in their language, in a language that they can relate to and or understand and made it relevant to them. And they're not welcomed to the table. They often don't have great examples that may be close to them when it comes to parenting and that birth experience. And so as a doula, one of my initiatives is to change that landscape around doula work and to include the father and the non-birth parent from the beginning to give him as much information as we give the mother relative to everything from informed consent and decision-making to nutrition, to how birth hormones work, and to what to expect in labor and delivery, questions to ask at those visits, and prepare him as well for this journey. That's really important to me. I married a man who was a single father with five children. Somehow, I thought that was attractive. (laughs) 17 years later, we are still here. So we had a combination of four girls and four boys. And my husband also had a traumatic experience with one of his children. He had a set of twins and one of the twins died. I'm his second wife, but one of the twins died. This was in his first marriage a few days after birth. And he is 60 years old. And to this day, it still pains him because he doesn't know what happened to that infant. There was no social worker who came to speak to him. They didn't explain what an emergency C-section was. And all he could think about was his wife and baby were going to die, you know, that his babies might not survive. And then he, you know, when he tells the story, he still motions his hands like he's stroking the head of this little baby. He doesn't know if they put the baby in the trash. There was no formal ceremony. He just came home with one less baby. And that's traumatic. Again, no one held space for him. And so that's, a, you know, another reason why it's really dear to my heart to make sure that our dads know as much as our moms. It changes our community. It's the life of our, of these children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, children need their fathers. They do. Whether they're all under the same roof or they come to visit daily or every other day or on the weekends, 
children need their fathers. And I know I read a story one time, and I know faith has been a big part of your journey as well. And I read a statistic at one point, and I'm not going to remember now what it was, but children whose father is involved and goes to church, the children are more likely to have faith and have that faith carry through into adulthood. And so, I mean, even something like that just shows, you know, that's one component of life. That's not the life as a whole. But I think to me, the nuclear family has so much power. And even if the parents can't stay together and be married under one roof, if they can be civil and kind and loving to each other just for the sake of their children, everybody's better off. Absolutely. I think that, you know, what mothers bring to the table is undeniable. I mean, we we're the only ones who can deliver babies. There are billions of people on the face of this earth that I don't care how mom got pregnant, that baby still had to come through a woman. Yeah. You know, we are not making babies in a factory. So we have this innate, powerful ability to bring life, right? And it's so super important, but we can't do that without that egg being fertilized. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a necessity yeah. too. And so I think the message there is that we each bring something to the table that is super important. When I look at couples and how men parent differently than women, and even in my own household, you know, I am a nurturer. I want to hold my 20 year old close to my chest. I don't want her to go out and bump her head and fall flat on her face and get her heart broken and all of that where my husband is more like, those are her mistakes to make. That's her life to explore. Let her crack her head a little bit. She'll be all right. She'll come back home. We'll put a bandage on it and she'll be fine. And, you know, you look at newborns and their families and you may see the mom holding the baby in a sling facing her, but dad may hold that baby in a sling facing the world. And so we need that balance, right? From both parents. And I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. The mom holds the baby in and the daddy holds the baby facing the world. That's beautiful. I hadn't, I'd never thought about that, but you're right. That's so true. I mean, I'm thinking of my husband with our three and that's exactly how it always was. Yeah. He's like, they'll learn Robin, they'll learn. But I, you know, and I've tried to embrace that, but as a mom, (laughs) that's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And so it's balance, you know, and kids need that balance. Yeah. And they, they don't know that, you know, my son had no clue I was 18 and 19 when he was born. You know, they don't know how old you are. They don't know your shortcomings when they're young. All they know is the love, Mm -hmm. you know, that you give them the nurturing, you know, you're a superhero. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's the stability we provide for them, right? Like we're their constant. Absolutely. Yeah. Those moments of care, you know, that you remember, those moments of yeah of love and of family your village i have to ask you this so you were a single mom mm-hmm. and you took in foster children and not only foster children but foster children that had children now were you working <laughs> at that time yeah how in the world did you get to that point and how did you do this i was always very fortunate to get a good job i always had a good job. But I lived in Philadelphia in University City, 42nd and Chestnut. There's this whole block of these huge apartments. And I actually lived in a five bedroom, one and a half bathroom apartment. Now this is 
my oldest daughter biologically is 31. So she was two. So this is a long, long time ago. And so one of the first young lady who moved in with me was someone that I knew. And I knew that she was coming from an abusive household. And she was 16. And she said, listen, can I come and live with you? If I don't, they're going to separate me from my baby. She was going into the foster care. And at that time, in most cases, you know, in foster care, people will want a newborn, but nobody wants a teenager. Mm -mm. And so I said, absolutely. She was pregnant. You can come stay with me. She was my first foster daughter. And she came, she had the baby and so forth. When they came to evaluate my home to make sure that it was suitable, they saw that I had this extra little tiny bedroom in the back of the apartment that had a bathroom in it. They were like, hmm, we can fit one more (laughs) here. And so it really started to unfold for me that this was something that I was supposed to do. And so I, I had two girls and then they went on and then I took in two more. And that was over a period of about six years. So now... I'm in my, I was about 30, but now I am University City, the college took over that building. They kind of pushed everybody out. And so I moved Mm -hmm. out Yeah, and they all moved on and I still have very healthy, good relationships with all of them. Oh, well, I'm sure you were a huge blessing to them. I mean, you were probably the mother they didn't really have of their own. Yeah. Yeah. When teenagers go into foster care, um, there's this misconception that they've done something wrong, but in fact, it's the opposite because usually teenagers don't go into foster care. So it's usually something that's happened in their home uh, where their parents are unable to take care of them. And the goal is always that the foster child would be able to go back to the parent, but in many cases they don't. And in these cases they mm-hmm. didn't. None of them went back home. Yeah. Did they go to school? Did they stay in school? They did. They all went to school. They One is a nurse. She's also a doula. The other is a social worker. And one is a cosmetologist and has her own business. To me, that's remarkable. Like you guided them. You gave them so many gifts, mentoring them that they were able to achieve. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I just (laughs) at the time, I mean, I didn't realize that this is not something that 25 year olds do. I don't know 25 year olds who are taking in teenage foster kids. No. At that time, I didn't see it as odd. I feel like there are signs along our path in life of what we're supposed to do. A lot of people never discover them. I'm grateful that I discovered it early because it just opened up another door and another door and another door for me mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, gradually go through. But yeah. Don't you think too, we get so busy with our lives and we think that we're on this path and this is what the path we're supposed to be on. So we ignore all those other signals. We're not listening for them. We're not watching for them. So we don't yeah. necessarily observe them. Whereas it sounds like you were given opportunities and not only could you see them as, you know, blessings and kind of guiding lights into your future journey, but you, you were aware and maybe it's because of your experiences. You know, the fact that you were a young mom at 25, you were probably more mature than a lot of us are at 35. Yeah, I kind of had to be. I think too, that part of it is like, you know, Whatever you do, if you are the greeter at the hotel, you know, the valet, if, you know, that could be where you're supposed to be, just 
do whatever it is you're supposed to do while you're there. If it's to greet everyone with a smile and bring a smile to someone else's face or another, you know, joy to someone else's heart, then just do that. It doesn't have to be this grand thing, you know, but whatever it is, just do it in a way that people can't take their eyes off you. That's one of Maya Angelou's semi quotes that I love. Don't pursue something for money. Do it because you love it and then do it in a way that folks can't take their eyes off you. Yeah. And a smile can transform someone's life. Absolutely. The power of a smile is remarkable. I mean, it literally, just smiling at someone who's having a bad day, you don't know what their intentions were for that day because their life was so bad and your smile saved them. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you own a nonprofit Mm -hmm. and then you work full time. I do. (laughs) And then you own another business. Yes. Which is my private doula practice. Yeah. Yeah. And within your private doula practice, you're actually educating and training other doulas, right? Yes. I love that. My degree is in education and I was a late starter. So I went to college late because I was a mom for a long time and it took me six years to get my undergrad degree. So, but I loved teaching. I just love it. I always have. And I knew I would never be a traditional teacher. I spent a lot of time educating pregnant and parenting teens again. And I came across the doula practice as a resource for them. And I'm thinking to myself, I am a doula and I'm not getting paid for this. Let me look into this a little bit more. And so I got trained as a doula and the trainer at the time was retiring. So she gave me her entire kit. So I had a nice jump start. And then once I got certified and was certified for three years, I was able to be a trainer. So I'm a trainer for Kappa, which is Childbirth and Postpartum Professional Association. And I train postpartum doulas and I love it because it gives me another opportunity to teach in a different setting. Now, what is your favorite thing to teach? (laughs) If I had to pick a subject K through 12, it would probably be history. But right now, because I've done a lot of doula work, the education around birth and just empowering people with that education and their rights to take part in their birth, as opposed to going into the hospital and feeling like something happened to them and they're not a part of it. Educating the fathers and just being like a mentor to other doulas. Like, I feel like I'm a doula to doulas, (laughs) Mm -hmm. giving them evidence-based information. So, yeah. Yeah. You're a teacher at heart for sure. And you just have such a soothing way about you. Like you just give people a a sense of comfort when you're talking to them and working with them. I mean, I watched you with the women at the shelter and I mean, they just lit up when you were in the room and they hung on every word you said. It was, you really do have a gift. It's beautiful. I appreciate that, Robin. And I have to tell you, you do as well, because you and I could not get out of that parking lot together. (laughs) (laughs) We could have talked and talked and talked, but I also watched you and the way that you worked with women. You took them away to take their photos and you came back and they had told you their life stories. So you also had this warmth about you that people felt safe with you. And that's really important. Yeah. And I think that's a good message to leave the listeners with is that In this world we live in, and you know, right now we're going through the elections, it's 2020 also, and the negativity and the judgment and the opinions and the lashing out, it's just, 
it's dreadful, honestly. It breaks my heart to see people behaving this way to each other. And when they've in the past considered each other friends, you know, or even family. So I think this is such a big lesson is to never come from a place of judgment. Don't ever let anyone else think that they should be shameful or ashamed for the way they're living or the things that have happened to them or the decisions they've made. Because at the end of the day, we're all God's children and he loves us all. That's right. And whether we have fallen off of the path or we've made decisions from our free will, those are the things that we've done, we've lived with, and now we can learn and we can move forward. But I think if we go into every scenario, whether it is in business or life, and we approach it as a place of service and a place of caring and a place of kindness, we're going to keep this world going in a positive direction versus letting it spiral out of control. Yeah. And these girls need that. They need us to not only be examples as a leader, but to give them the opportunity to share their story. And maybe they're not proud of their story. But the one thing I can say about every conversation I had was those girls freely told me their stories and how they got to where they were that day. And they didn't feel ashamed. I think I could sense regret. Mm -hmm. But they were all looking towards their future. They had hope. And if we can keep that sense of hope alive, that's the key. Yes, I agree. And, you know, hope is that feeling or that expectation of something that's going to happen. As we talk about hope, of course, in a positive way, we really got to be anchored in it and rooted in it because on some days, it's going to be all that we have. Mm -hmm. Hope is going to be all that we have. And so, And this time has been trying for all of us, quarantine, global warming, politics, racial injustice. There's so much going on at one time and we're all experiencing it at one time. So it compounds it. It makes it feel really heavy. And, you know, people are anxious who've never been anxious before. Folks are depressed who've never been depressed before. And so we have to take care of ourselves, you know, grieve and find other healthy ways to to be better. Once we come out of this, we are all going to be different. And we all have this shared experience. And hope is a huge part of that. So no matter what I see, sometimes we have to turn off the television, (laughs) you know, and turn on a podcast that is, you know, empowering and uplifting or worship music or something that's going to bring some peace you know, and further anchor that hope for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So Karen, how can the listeners support you and support Women of Harmony? And if they want to get involved, either to donate financially, if they're not local, or to even find a place near them that might offer similar services, like, tell us a little bit more about how people can get involved in becoming a mentor with, you know, young girls and in any situation. I like that. I would say, first of all, for Women of Harmony, our web address is www.womenofharmonyinc.org. And so you can find us there if you want to donate time, toiletries, items. You can see some of the work that we've done in the past. There's a donate button. There's also a way to reach out via email. We're at womenofharmony at gmail.com. I always tell people that even if Women of Harmony is not the 
organization or a nonprofit that you want to get involved in, get involved in something. If you believe in treating animals well, then do that. If it's Vietnam vets or whatever it is, find something in your wheelhouse that works for you and get involved in it. Now is the time to support people and people need support more than ever. And then locally, if you're looking for opportunities in your local area to mentor, there are a ton of um, organizations out there that work with young women who really need a mentor. So you can Google it and something will come up. I'm not sure how far your reach is, Robin, with your podcast, but... We're global. (laughs) Global. So yeah, globally, that's amazing, first of all. I know, it is amazing. Each one, teach one. I mean, right now, children are not going a lot in a lot of places. They're not physically going to school. So that's a need. Food services, nutritional developmental services in local areas. The schools who used to provide food for school-aged children can't do that if the kids aren't in school. So maybe you can get involved in something like that where you can be a center that where you can give out food for school-aged children. There's a ton of different ways that you can do that. Yeah. And I, in my nine to five, I don't want to leave the organization out that I work for. It's called the Petaway Pursuit Foundation. We're located here in Lansdowne, PA, and we provide doula services to mothers who receive Medicaid in Pennsylvania. Keystone First, we serve five counties here. We're in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. We also offer certified lactation services to these same families, and we offer free Zoom classes. There's about 30 classes a month that are around childbirth ed, child development. And then there's just some fun stuff that we throw in there like yoga and mindfulness and things like that. Wow. Yeah. Your entire life is, is serving. Yeah. I look forward to going home at four (laughs) o'clock and serving me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope every night you get to sit back and put your feet up at least for a little bit. I try. But I would imagine you have a book or two or three in you with all of the experiences you've had and the people you've met and the lives you've touched. I am working on a book now with a co-author and it's around the father's story and their birth experiences. So we have a number of fathers who've told their story. And so we're going to create a workbook to go along with that that can be included for birth workers. But there is a story, my own personal story that I'm working on as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Karen, thank you so much. I mean, you you shared your story, which, you know, you gave us the gift of your vulnerability in the show today. But I think you shed a lot of light too on what is really happening in our world with young women and even young men and how you know, we can hopefully come together collectively and and offer support and help make change like you are. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Have you joined the Brand Insider private Facebook group yet? If not, head on over to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups slash the Brand Marketing Insider, where we make branding fun. Every day we network and build community and genuine relationships and learn tips all about building a brand that stands out and makes an impact. I'd love to see you there, and I know everyone else in the group would love to learn from you and connect with you as well. So head on over there and join the Brand Marketing Insider Private Facebook.
And that's a wrap, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, The Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the second day's podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.